Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, and, as was his custom, he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today the power of the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Lord, we have heard your word from Luke 4. Thank you for reminding us of what you're about, because it tells us what we're supposed to be about. Good news to the poor and to the poor in spirit, freedom from captivity of the body and the soul, Lord, healing to the blind, those who are sick with their body and those who are clouded in their spiritual vision. Help us to both receive your gospel and to be agents of your gospel. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray. Amen. Ever since we've started producing these at-home worship resources because of the coronavirus stuff, I've been trying to keep my sermons down to 15 to 20 minutes just because I know it's difficult to sit through a lot of stuff in your living room at home. And because of that shortened time period, I'm not going to read all of Acts chapter 12, 1 through 24 uh, during my sermon time. So if you have the time and space right now, you might want to pause this and take a moment to read that scripture out loud. If you're with multiple people, maybe a family in your living room or something like that, take a take turns reading it together and, and, and listen for uh, things you may have missed before. Uh, then go ahead and resume the video or just keep rolling through if you don't feel like reading it. Okay, whether you read the text or not, let me give you an overview of the story, because this sermon is part two of a two-part series that we started last week. The gist is this. Herod Agrippa I has been persecuting Palestinian Christians uh, and the leaders of the early church. He has James, the brother of John and the close disciple of Jesus, uh, killed with a sword. And then he arrests Peter and holds him in prison during the Passover festival. Now, during this time, the church is fervently praying for Peter, but things don't seem to be going that well. On the night before his execution, Jesus sends an angel to miraculously rescue Peter and to deliver him to safety. The praying church finds out their prayers have been answered, and at the end we read how Herod was judged by God and struck down dead. We learned two things last week that were encouraging. First, even though Peter and the church had a hard time accepting that God had heard their prayers and granted deliverance, it didn't stop Jesus from working in and through them. Jesus does not need you to have perfect faith in order to work in and through you. I'm so relieved to hear that. Second, we learned that the more the world powers try and suppress the gospel of Jesus, the more it breaks out into unexpected ways. The gates of hell simply will not prevail over the will of God. 
Now today, we're going to look back at the same passage because we want to be careful not to over-spiritualize this story by pulling it out of context, wiping it clean of unpleasant details, and turning it into some set of principles or a morality tale. We need to reckon with the harsh reality of the way the world seeks to impose its will on us by wielding both the threat of death and an assault on our humanity. So first, there's just the brutal facts of what Peter would have had to endure in this prison. We'll start with his arrest. We know Peter was married, and we know from cultural just norms that he would have likely had a family and children. He definitely had friends, and he definitely had a church community. And one day, he was taken off the streets for no reason. Without formal charges, he was put into a holding cell, likely within an armed citadel. Now, imagine the horror that Peter must have felt. His friend James had just been executed without just cause for having committed no offense. You have no trial. You're held without bail. Now, imagine the emotional torture living under the assumption that you will die. And that logic, lawyers, reason, none of the assumptions of a fair trial even apply to you anymore. You're simply taken off the street by a higher power. Did you know that today, roughly 555,000 Americans are being held without convictions or charges? They're simply suspected of crimes but can't afford the minimal bail averaging $10,000. The poor, the underrepresented, the socially unconnected, these are the ones who suffer the most. Then there's just the sense of the physical brutality and the inhumanity of being stripped as was the custom stripped of your personal clothing and belongings, of your identity in the ancient world. Then Peter is sandwiched between two Roman guards who are known for their brutality. Any sense of dignity or humanity was intentionally stripped away from the prisoner. Guards could be changed out to relieve themselves, but prisoners like Peter would have had to do all their bodily functions right out in the public next to these guards. The irons that held Peter would have been designed for maximum discomfort, while the guards who were attached to Peter on either side got to have strips of cloth between their skin and the irons. The world powers disguised as the state used their favorite weapons of control over dissident voices, incarceration, and the threat of death. Either way, they diminish a person's life. Then there are the guards to consider low-ranking Roman soldiers who had to participate in this type of brutality. One can imagine teenage boys just starting out their military career, or on the other end of the spectrum, rugged old veteran soldiers who never really advanced the pecking order to make it to Centurion or higher ranks. These are the types of people who are likely the prison guards here for Peter. To have to treat another human being with such brutality takes a toll. It causes a compartmentalizing in order to cope with treating others with such contempt. Unjust incarceration destroys the souls of both the captive and the captors. And in the end, these guards are mere pawns in a larger machine, because when Peter is miraculously freed, the guards will pay the toll with their lives. Today in the U.S., there are 2.3 million women and men incarcerated in jails and prisons and immigration detention centers. That's far more than any other country in the world, both in sheer numbers and per capita percentages. 
For most of us, these are not new facts. But let that number sit with you a minute. 2.3 million people incarcerated, most of them non-white, non-wealthy, and many of them without convictions. What do we do with those facts as citizens in this country, as Christians in this country? Like the guards, most of us have to compartmentalize. We hear these horrifying statistics, but unless it affects me directly or you and your family directly, it doesn't seem to compete for our attention compared to what's right in front of us, even if what's right in front of us is only Netflix or a dream of what we're going to do with our, neck, our next recreational outing. Against this machine that destroys life, we have Jesus who seeks to make all things new and to redeem people. Now, this doesn't mean that there's no judgment in the world. Jesus talked a lot about judgment, actually. But it does mean that it's not your job and my job to be the judges. Thank God. That's more than we can handle. Let's face it. There are people who do horrible, evil things in the world. And to protect our society, and even to protect some of the perpetrators from themselves, we need to intervene as a society. And for some, the best of the bad solutions is to be taken off the streets and held away from everyone else on a daily basis. But as followers of the life-giving Jesus, should we not want more for people? Should we not want justice that restores rather than a type of justice that leads only to punishment? Thankfully, the solution isn't binary. It isn't either or. With the power of the Spirit, and creativity, we who follow Jesus can be part of the solution. What you're about to see is one such example. Stateville Prison outside of Chicago is a maximum security prison with some of the most hardened criminals in the country. And recently, North Park Theological Seminary started a program in which they offer college classes in the prison made up of partially incarcerated men and partially free students from the city who come and study in the prison. Let's take a look at these possibilities in this video from Urbana. I was about to go in one day and a friend said to me, go be Jesus in, as you go in. And I'm like, actually, I go in there and I find Jesus in there. Not only are your friends involved in gangs, but family members are in gangs. So the gang life has always been entrenched into our community and that's how we view things. And I just grew up drinking to cope with the traumas that I experienced in my neighborhood. Alcohol abuse was a problem in my family. It ultimately led to me leaving home at an early age. I used to hear bullets flying past my ears. My dad was killed, you know, in gun violence. I grew up without a father, and then like, I, I see so many other, my friends growing up without fathers. The Word of God says that we are to visit the prisoners. Doesn't matter what they've done. We don't get to decide who we visit or why we visit them.
so the program grew into a four-year uh, Master's of Arts in Christian Ministry. Um, and the, the goal of the program is to prepare people to do ministry in contexts that are susceptible to violence, which prisons, of course, are. I was excited to take the class inside the prison um, because I knew that it, it would be putting me in proximity with, with those who are in the system and then it's learning how the system affects people and their families. I've never had the one-on-one -on -one relationships and the connections and putting faces to names and stories to faces um, until this class. Our outside students don't have a rap sheet that anybody else can look up and say, oh, what sins have they committed lately? Even though you may have done things in the past, you know, this doesn't define who you are for the rest of your life. You know, you can get past that, you know. I shouldn't be alive today, to be honest with you. It had not God intervened in my life the way he has. One of the things that they've been able to start to do in this program is to look at their own trauma and to try to find healing. And so to break those cycles in themselves, and then once they've found some healing, to be able to be agents of breaking those cycles of violence. I'm actually ministered to, and I find Jesus in a way that I've never experienced Jesus. I find um, a dimension of God that I've never seen um, through the men that I've gotten to know within the prison. The education that I receive and this hope that I have that I'll be able to use it in the world to bring something good in the lives of other individuals, I think that's more than a degree itself. I want to help end that cycle, you know, the cycle that I grew up in because it's vicious. I realize that my calling is teaching, but teach God's word in a way that is powerful, uplifting, positive, and liberating. I don't see those barriers any longer. And so that's the one thing that I actually look forward to doing when I get out with this education is breaking down those barriers because I know them to be anti-gospel. Without this course, I will still will be wondering what's gonna happen with me. No, but now it's just, I have so much hope. I have so much hope, you know, that, that this is something that's getting me prepared for something that, that God has in store for me. We hosted a Lauren Daigle concert at Stateville they were gonna be singing along with some of the men to do a couple of joint pieces for everybody. And she said to me, please don't let this be the last time I'm in here. We need to be in here. And when they were singing the last song, which was one of the Gaither hymns, something beautiful, something good. One of my students, my outside students turned to me and said, the gospel sounds really different in here. Every word that we sing about all the time, freedom, liberation, forgiveness, it means something really different in here. 
And there was one moment when we went into the Panopticon and the environment is so inhumane that most of them in the world shut down and this particular one shut down last year. We went in there into that space, which is a space that, that can feel like visiting a site where you know people have died, have suffered. Um, when we went in there, it, we were silent for a moment and Lauren Daigle just started singing Amazing Grace in this space and it echoed off the walls and I thought this is analogous, that there is redemption happening everywhere and who are we to keep the walls that human beings put up? Who are we to keep people out and to think that God isn't working inside the walls just as he is working outside those walls? Because the barriers that human beings make between themselves and other human beings are anti-gospel. And my hope is that when our students graduate and possibly are transferred to other prisons across the state of Illinois, that our students who are incarcerated bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to every single prison in the state of Illinois, and that they themselves are the agents of change on the ground, loving these men that they may be incarcerated with for the rest of their lives. But Jesus is there. What a moving example of the gospel at work. I want to close this time with an invitation and a challenge. So here's the invitation. It is so powerful to see the gospel at work transforming lives, isn't it? Sometimes it's easier to see in other people and in, in extreme examples like in this video. But the good news of the passage of Acts 12 and of all the gospel is that you are never too far gone. As long as you have a chance to repent, and as long as you take that chance to repent. The final word is never allowed to be spoken over you by some other human being. The only one who has the final word over you is Jesus the Christ. Your story is not yet written to conclusion. And despite what people may have said to you, the, the words they may have called you, the labels they may have put on you, despite what you may have actually done, and despite how you condemn yourself, Jesus stands in defiance and says, You are the reason I died. Even you. Yes, you. Jesus is the Redeemer, not the prison guard. So hear the invitation of Jesus to turn to him, to trust him, to be freed from the bondage of sin and shame. And for those who are redeemed and walking in the freedom of Jesus, hear the challenge of the gospel. Hear the call to action in this passage. Like the early church when Peter was imprisoned, we can pray. We can pray that the light of Christ penetrate hardened hearts and warped minds. We can pray for the same, uh, that same type of prayer for the guards and the wardens in our, in our systems. We can pray for transformation of the broken system itself. And we can become more informed. What is the makeup of our local jails and prisons? What statistics startle you as you begin to look on the DOJ website? You can become more informed at the disparity of minority representation in the prison system and in the jails. I highly recommend the fantastic book, Rethinking Incarceration by Dominic Gilliard. 
He's a member of our denomination, an ordained pastor, a renowned speaker and thinker on issues of racial righteousness and justice. You and I can learn to advocate for those who have no voice. For example, check out the group Prison Policy Initiative. One of the things that they had been working on is they found out that prisons were offering a for-profit model for just having telephone calls in and out of the prison. So for children who had an incarcerated mother or father, they'd have to pay up to a dollar a minute just to video chat or to chat with, with their mom or dad. And so Prison Policy Initiative moved to legislate that this would be banned, and now those phone calls are free and kids have access to their parents. And finally, you can get involved. You can get involved in upstream ways, like those of us who volunteer at local schools, for example, with helping kids with literacy, which has a staggeringly positive impact on keeping kids out of the criminal justice system. You can get involved midstream by volunteering at the local jail right here in Bellingham. Ask, ask Frank Hodge and Wayne Youngquist. Um, they'd be great guys to talk to you because they have firsthand experience of being in the jail ministering to, uh, to men on a, on a regular basis. And you can get involved downstream. Um, that is, after someone has been released from jail or from prison or out of a recovery program. You know, it's telling that in Acts 12, the angel not only frees Peter, but also makes sure that he has clothing and he has sandals. I don't know if you knew this, but in the ancient world, clothing and footwear symbolized your place in society. So the angel knew that Peter had not only been in a prison from the world, but he had been stripped of his very humanity and his place in the world. You know, people like Andy Harris over at Redemption House seek to rehabilitate men and women who are recently freed from incarceration and are trying to get their lives back together. Jesus came to liberate and to transform and I pray that you and I would walk in increasing levels of freedom from sin and shame, and that we would grow in being bearers of that same good news to people that the rest of the world has forgotten about. Amen. I encourage you now to seize the moment, either right now before communion or maybe right after the service, but take this time while it's fresh in your mind to discuss a next step both personally as one who needs to receive the grace and truth of Jesus afresh, and as one who exists to reflect the grace and truth of Jesus. But whatever our next step is, may the Holy Spirit guide us in our conversations, our convictions, and our actions. Bless you.